Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Pax. And I'm Abigail. So this week's Week 1 update, it's kind of a bit dry. There's nothing announced as of yet, except for... The King and Black Women versus Carnage trade paperback, which will be on sale next week after two delays, because it was supposed to be, you know, the 15th and then the 21st, and then they finally settled on the 28th. So if you like, want to go support the book, go pick it up next week. And it's also the last thing that we get to see from Gwen for a while. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, that creative team is is well worth supporting. I think uh, of uh, Maguire and Flaviano and Enrico Renzi. They're um, they're good eggs for sure. And the trade also includes King and in Black Scream number one, and also King and Black Spider Man number one. Yes, yeah, and those those are really good as well. In fact, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but we are expecting solicits to be coming either next week or even I think it's this week even. I think so. Uh, we'll be able to tell you, I think, the next time we record an episode, whether or not there is any new news for Gwen in October. Uh, yeah, because the solicits come out this week. Um, I think all we have to go by is uh, whether or not how much appearances she has in Dark Ages. Yeah, I, I think that's more of just um, adjacent to the other spider characters. I don't, I don't know if she'll have much of a role in that. Not that I don't want Tom Taylor to write more Spider-Gwen, but I don't know. Yeah, one of those things. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. As usual, we're currently reading through Spider-Gwen's main solo series. And last week we read Predators, which was the art covering Gwen's time in Madripoor hunting for a lizard-mutated Harry Osborn, which resulted in the birth of the Venom symbiote. Today we're going to be reading Spider-Gwen number 23, which technically is a part of Predators, but it shows what the Mary Janes have been doing while Gwen was in Madripoor. And it's a bit of slice of life. There's also a bit of romantic subtext in there. Yeah, it's all very sitcom-y. Yeah, and uh, it's also got a sort of a creative team that's been shaken up a bit. Uh, it's not got... Uh, Jason to necessarily he's he's co-writing it alongside Hannah Blumenreich who is doing the lines for the issue as well so it's not the usual creative team Robbie Rodriguez is taking another break here and um, yeah we'll get into the differences with the art there although Robbie Rodriguez does do the first scene to be fair as always you know we're gonna put links in the description of what to buy and where to read and the comiXology links just for you to see what it looks like and should we get started? Yeah, we should. So uh, as with every episode we're doing at the moment, uh, we're having a little uh, synopsis of the issue or arc that we are considering just to, to get everybody on the same page. Um, so we'll, we'll open with that now. The issue opens on Earth 8 on the television game show Family Foes, hosted by Mojo Harvey with the Banditos, a team including a now elderly bodega bandit and his similarly themed family and pet hamster versus the Amazing Eight, the super team that Gwen and Miles founded on this earth. Mojo asks the elderly bodega bandit and Charlotte Morales Stacy, who Spider-Woman's greatest arch nemesis was. Bodega bandit erroneously guesses himself and Charlotte is asked to give the correct answer, which is Venom. 
Meanwhile, the watcher of Earth-65 observes from his TV, evidently bored, mutters under his breath, Gwenham. Caught slacking on the job, a council of watchers materialize and berate him for neglecting the observation of Earth-65. He tries to defend himself, explaining that he just wanted a break since events took a dark turn in his reality. With a threat of losing his job, Watcher 65 goes back to watching Earth 65, but decides to shift perspective to see how the Mary Janes are doing. Seeing news reports of Spider-Woman and Madripoor, MJ laments that they won't have Gwen to play drums for the band at their gig the next day, but Glory remains unimpressed by MJ's insistence that Gwen is a superhero. MJ asks that Glory try playing drums for the band, prompting Glory to threaten to quit the band again, not confident in her drumming. Betty interjects to say that Glory's drumming has, quote, been sounding really good and that they should play the gig. A show's a show and they could use a little extra cash. Glory relents much to MJ's delight. On the night of the show, MJ theorizes the origins of Gwen's spider powers, while Glory continues to brush off MJ's ideas about Gwen being Spider-Woman. While walking, MJ breaks a heel and the band has to detour to go buy gum to stick the heel back on for the gig. While at the store, they bump into an ex-boyfriend of MJ's who informs her that he's moving away and could do with some records that he lent her. MJ agrees to get the records and he can pick them up at the gig later. MJ reveals to a much unimpressed Glory that she doesn't have the records anymore and worries that she won't be able to get them back as she further lent them to Liz Allen, quote, who sort of hates her now. Glory mediates for MJ and the three head to Liz's apartment to retrieve the records. Liz, evidently displeased, stipulates that MJ has to stay outside, so Betty heads in while Glory and MJ talk outside. Glory asks MJ what she did to make Liz hate her. MJ explains that Liz's boyfriend kept asking her out, and when she tactlessly informed Liz, Liz stopped talking to MJ completely. Glory expresses frustration that MJ always manages to find a way to make things about her, even naming the band after herself. MJ, affected by this display, emphasizes that it's their band, not just hers. MJ reiterates that she wants Glory to stay in the band and pointedly says to her, I don't want to replace you, and asks what she can do to make Glory stay. Glory asks that MJ let other people exist outside of her. Liz is holding a house party, and while retrieving the records, Betty finds that she is persistently prepositioned by a guy whom she tries her best to give the cold shoulder to, much to his chagrin. While the three leave the building and head to the gig, the guy from the party follows from behind, demanding to know why Betty won't talk to him. Despite their best efforts to tell him to go away, he escalates the situation at one point physically grabbing at Betty, to which MJ responds with force, knocking him off balance with a kick to the knees and punching him out with a vicious right hook. MJ walks back to the other two, now completely stunned by the band leader's skill in violently diffusing the situation and explains that she, quote, just took a class once. The three making use of the newfound adrenaline play their gig successfully that evening. MJ, still figuring that it must be Gwen as Spider-Woman out in Madripoor, messages her asking her to come back in one piece. On the train back from the gig, Betty sleeps while Glory and MJ talk about the band. Glory jokes about quitting again, and MJ plays along. I don't care how many guys you punch in the face, Glory says, but MJ replies, I'd punch all the guys in the face for you, Glory Grant. And that is Spider-Gwen issue number 23. Uh, that's our Mary Jane's one-shot, as it were. Yeah, we don't get a lot of the band prior to uh, number 23. Well, maybe except for the Halloween issue, but there's a little bit of Gwen there too. 
Yeah, I mean, they definitely they definitely have a presence throughout the comics, but um, yeah, like you said, other than the Halloween one, um, this is the first time we get a really extended look at the internals of the band and a bit more of their dynamic, as well as the uh, the tension that they set up between MJ and Glory. They sort of develop it a lot further here and sort of find a new, particularly for for MJ, a new character sort of arc they sort of put her on uh, with regards to the band. Yeah, especially since uh, Glory had to be the one to call out MJ for her self-absorption. Is that the right term? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think like, uh, and, and, and I don't know if MJ does it deliberately. Um, she evidently cares about her friends a lot, um, but she is very much invested in in like what she's doing and like the things that she wants the people around her to be doing. And she sometimes I think loses sight of the people in that process. And I think, I think that's sort of what happens there. I don't think she's necessarily selfish by nature. She's just a bit more. Um, yeah. She, just, she means well, but she's not really aware uh, when she's being selfish. Yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of the time it is just, it's a case of like, she's kind of tactless like she's not necessarily saying or doing the wrong thing but she's putting it in the wrong way especially with the way that she worded how liz's boyfriend kept prepositioning her because i think the quote was like did you know that your boyfriend is super into me right yeah it's um you know she could have framed that uh, in in a different way where you know which was she, she was trying to do was you know legitimately tell this person that there was an issue there um but sort of put it in a way which sort of centered her um unfortunately and i would think it was a good uh microcosm of of a lot of the issues that come up with the person personality friction uh that the mj has uh with the other members of the band there um which was i thought quite interesting for sure we also get a lot more of um like MJ at this point is very much set on Gwen being Spider-Woman. I don't think there's any doubt in her mind at this point that Gwen is. Like she doesn't even... um. She picks up all the clues that Gwen is Spider-Woman. Yeah, and, and like like at the point where she sees Spider-Woman on the television, it's not like, oh, hey, that might be Gwen. It's like instantly, it's Gwen, it's Gwen. Like she just calls it out and she's annoyed and frustrated that she won't be around for this gig. And and she doesn't even think to message her at that point to say, oh, hey, are you in New York? Like she is so set in her presumption that Gwen is Spider-Woman that, that she just right off the bat does it. And because of that, you know, she's uh, always subject to Glory's mockery. Yeah, I think... um. I mean, MJ obviously disagrees with a lot of characters throughout the Spider-Gwen comics. Like, she has beef with all kinds of people. But I think more so within the band's internal dynamic, it, like, it's it's not just personal friction between Glory and MJ. Like, they usually disagree on the specific points that are being made about things. And, and Glory's very much contrarian whenever MJ mentions Gwen being Spider-Woman. Like, she yeah. shoots it down every time. But remember, does she correctly assume that that Gwen was bitten by a radioactive spider? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, given they only give it. Um, but she, I mean, she she makes what two guesses and arrives at the right one the second time. That's um, that's impressive. Only to be shot down by Glory saying that that's not how radiation or animal bites work. But you know, she doesn't know that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, like, Glory's not wrong. Like, that isn't the reality of it that's not how uh radioactive spiders would work but um in the internal logic of this universe uh that is also how radioactive spiders work so yeah um i thought that was um 
yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, MJ guesses correctly uh, in that instance there, which I thought was it was quite interesting that she got there. And we also see that this version of MJ, she's a lot more volatile than any other versions of her because she punches a guy out cold. Like it seems like she didn't even make an effort. Um, yeah, I mean, or compared to like spider people would punch out people. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, there's that line about it hurting her hand like uh, a lot after the fact, but. Uh... Yeah, definitely. I think uh, MJ65 is very, very much um, a force to be reckoned with um, in terms of, yeah. Yeah, and her volatileness is like, it becomes more apparent once we get to Maguire's run. Maguire definitely leads to, I think, more of the sort of angry redhead trope, for sure. Um, and, and definitely MJ's propensity for violence uh, comes up again. But definitely here, I think she's very much... Uh, She's very cool, like when she completely just dispatches the guy who was harassing Betty and Glory. Like that was just, yeah. And then, like, modestly says, "I just took a class once." Yeah, uh, and I think, um, like, there was no um, hesitation on her part to sort of defend her friends there. And I think, um, I think that came through. Is that you know she's she's loyal in in her own way and. Um, and and I like that closing line that she has. I'd punch all the guys in the face for you, Glory Grant, because you know that is that is her attitude, that is her vibe. You know, it's it's sort of uh, angry, like an angry love, I guess. Speaking of which, throughout this issue, like there did seem to be some sort of budding feelings, although they were somewhat um, tense between Glory and MJ. Yeah, I think the um, there's obviously there's the the overriding issue where uh you know glory sort of is very much persevering in the band and mj wanting to find a way to to sort of appease her with that but then un- underneath all of that there is um tension between the two characters and um definitely i think in a lot of the the way that hannah blumenreich draws the way they interact with each other um and it's like little little touches like literally uh when at the start when mj gets glory's attention by like tapping her knee or something i, I don't know it's it's done in like the, the sort of they're they're you know they, they sort of build up that sort of intimacy between the two characters and the way they um you know because this is essentially an issue about the two of them trying to essentially bridge their sort of uh their issues with each other here they're trying to they're trying to get to a better place and i don't think you know they're doing that just because they you know really want to do this band together like uh, mary jane uh, specifically says she's doing it because she specifically wants glory in the band and, and it's their um the feelings for each other that powers um much of this issue and much of their interactions here like it, it, it is mary jane very much making a very legitimate effort to reach through to glory and, and glory trying to you know be patient and even with all of the threats of quitting and mj getting distracted yeah, remember that, like, back then, like, it was stated that these two couldn't even stand each other? Yeah, um, and, and they, they do argue a lot, I think, in this run, but but then I think that that in of itself is, is also, I guess, part of that tension, and, um, yeah. Because a funny thing, like, um, two of my um, closest high school friends, they mentioned that, like, back in elementary school when they were in seventh, eighth grade, they could not stand each other, but... Now they've been together since grade nine. So since 2012, they've been together. Oh, my days. Wow, that's a lo- that, that, that is a long time. Good for them. Um, 
yeah, they mentioned that they could not stand each other in elementary school. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's one of those things. I think it's a fun trope, the whole uh, sort of enemies to, to lovers trope. Yeah, enemies and lovers. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a fun one, and and I and and, and they do um. They do build on this, um, and I think it's a shame they don't they don't ever give the Mary Janes this amount of attention that they do here. They never get this amount of panel space again. They appear, they continue to appear, they have arcs, um, but as a band, I do find that I'd like to see more of this in the comic. I, I'd like to see more space dedicated to this sort of just internal dynamic of uh, a, a, you know like a group of young people um, in New York as a band is just very cool superhero stuff aside you mean like as a breather issue yeah as a breather issue and i think uh you, you know i think about like because obviously they, they use a lot of different characters for um gwen's supporting cast i i think they want to give these the most to breathe i think they have the most stories and the most potential character work to draw from these lot and, and they've been there right from the start as well like i think um i think they absolutely should be treated as a you know, core of of the Ghost Spider comics and uh, Spider Gwen Ghost Spider comics. I, I do think some of the latest stuff where uh, they do a lot more stuff on six one six feels lacking because you have less interactions with these lot, and that is that is a shame. Um, I, I do think I think that that is that is a shame. I feel like um they could at least do an issue. Remember with um Captain Marvel's game night that was wholesome. Yeah, yeah, just do something like that. I think, um, and and I guess they've just not had enough runs where they they could do like a one shot every like ten to fifteen issues, which is just a break in the action. They haven't had that with the the Spider Gwen Ghost Spider comics as of late, but but I think it would help. And there is um, there's yeah, like it's it's what it says at the start of of the issue, um, is where um, yeah, what the Watcher says. He says there has to be something on Earth sixty five worth watching, something to give it all human stakes, context, something more, something real. And then they cut to the Mary Janes, and the issue sort of starts in full and proper. And I think that having this little, um, you know, core of of peers for Gwen, who you know are, is concerned about her and who she is concerned about, is very valuable for her run. And it's something that they should give more um i guess how should i say more time i think overall when when they do more spider gwen comics yeah they should yeah utilize the band more yeah and uh, we got a lot of um i guess we've spoken a bit bit more about mary jane than glory um Gl- glory i think particularly i think is that is the is a very uh i, I want to say she's more of a pragmatist but she's still yeah, she acts as the voice of reason for the uh group i think like every friend group always has that voice of reason yeah, yeah. Uh, unless she's having some sort of more heated disagreement with um, MJ, uh, that is the sort of role she sits in, and and she's very much the sort of voice of the opposition. Um, like I think MJ and Gwen argue a lot, but it's more just over Gwen stuff, like Gwen's deal and what Gwen needs to be doing or isn't doing or whatever. And um, whereas the stuff with MJ and Glory tends to be more um, more like over decisions with the band and. Yeah, I, th- I think in that role, she just sort of occupy that more contrarian position and helps, you know, I guess does help often when, when like Gwen and MJ argue and stuff. But, but yeah. Wasn't Glory the one that convinced Gwen to come back to the band back in Most Wanted? Yeah, she was. And, and she definitely feels more um, the most level headed, I think, out of the lot. Uh, even, even with all these threats to quit, I think that even the threats to quit in and of themselves are more 
examples of of how she's dissatisfied with, with people not being level-headed. It's less a case of her self not being a level-headed person, but but more a case of other people not being level-headed. If 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 that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, I ship those two, Glory and MJ for sure. Like, I think it's um, I think a big, a big part of wanting to see more of that relationship is that that there isn't a lot of that sort of uh representation in comics generally and uh i I guess they're sort of they're doing a bit with it but seeing them sort of get phased out the comic almost more recently yeah like um, even in gwenham versus carnage their relationship status is like up in the air yeah and and the way they don't um yeah i i do think it's something they should have given a bit more bit more time even off the back of that just to make sure that you know they did they did the dues with it really i mean if Gwen gets to have a sort of failed romantic interest every two to three arcs, then the least they could do is make sure that, uh, you know, these two get more than a couple panels um, every four issues. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a shame they didn't, uh, and, and they're, not, they're not as explicit about it. Like a lot of it is just not as textual a thing. It is more of a thing which, you know, happens in the background of panels. Uh, it's, it's never given like the foreground attention it's always been a b-plot thing which i think is a shame for those two characters but again i just yeah the mary janes just haven't been given enough time within the scope of the spider wing go spider comics to sort of develop that further and um yeah like it's more stuff like this would have helped i think um for sure um we also have a uh, betty brand here who also seems to get even more would it say more or would it be equal to what she did during halloween like the amount of time she gets i i don't think she gets as much as she did in the halloween issue um although the um the sort of the moment which surprised me here was that and it, and it sort of surprises mj and glory as well as is, is they're arguing and uh betty interjects basically to take mj's side and and they're both shocked by her opinion and and her sort of sudden appearance in the scene where she hadn't shown up previously and she's she's very much sort of pragmatically interjects there she's not as um she's not as wacky as we've seen in previous appearances i don't know if this is more a case of the way that blumenreich writes betty but she's very much keeps more to herself here she she's not got like those insane moments but she's a lot more sarcastic yeah she's more sarcastic and 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 I think she's just not got much time for people's uh for people's rubbish in this issue as she sometimes does. Like she's she's sort of over the whole Glory and MJ arguing with each other and and this guy who's harassing her and uh, I think the only moment we got where she was sort of really goofy was where uh, she just ends up buying loads and loads of snacks from the grocery store, and I thought that was um <laughs> I thought that was funny. Cause, yeah, because she said that she has needs. So yes, no doubt, no doubt. Um, good for Betty good for betty yeah i I do think uh betty ends up getting like less characterizations than glory and mj um like would she be the third wheel between mj and glory yeah she 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 becomes the third wheel i think without gwen around like normally when gwen's there they'll they'll give betty and gwen a couple of lines i know in mcguire's run i think i think betty gets more play and becomes a bit more rounded out than what she does here yeah, she's a third wheel to them, but, you know, at the same time, it seems apparent that she does have a boyfriend because, you know, that's what she says to the party goer. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I guess she does. I mean, part of me thought that, like, she was saying that just to sort of get him to go away, but I, I guess they've sort of hinted at that um, in previous issues 
the uh, relationship with Falcon. And yeah, because um, she even like she texted Falcon during Halloween saying like, what's he doing while she's fighting the zombies? Yeah. And that's, um, I'm trying to think how many issues ago that is now. That's, uh, that was 10 issues ago, 10 issues ago. So they haven't touched on it for a while. I don't know if they touch on it ever again, but I guess it is, it could be a reference to Falcon. I guess, you know, since they, you know, they first met during, um, this volume number five, you know, when, um falcon was trying to search for leads on gwen and he went to her and betty's apartment yeah um you said it wasn't a meet cute but they could have possibly hooked up yeah i I mean i mean i think they've um they're definitely in some sort of there's definitely a thing there um so um at least um there was um but yeah sam sam wilson i think he what does he he appears in the next next arc briefly but i don't i think i think just because he sort of he fades into the background a bit more as time goes on with the spider Gwen comics so um they don't really pick that up too much yeah they don't really give concrete evidence that betty and falcon are in a relationship yeah one, one of the, one of those things i guess um yeah and uh we got uh, a couple more characters here we have the watcher 65 i'm trying to remember he's appeared before right in the annual Right, in the annual. So in the annual, actually it's a similar situation, right? He gets bored and he sort of artificially tries to create a situation where the Mary Janes do something interesting together. And here we have a similar situation where he's bored, but like what it appears is that like he was following along with the story as we were, right? And it gets to that moment with Gwen in the symbiote and that issue stops. And you can see that the last panel of that issue is like paused on his television screen. And he's gone and switched to watching something on Earth 8. Because that's how his setup is. It's a big old armchair. He's got this old looking television set. So he's very, like, literally appears and looks much more laid back than any other watcher we've really seen. And then he still looks at, like, Earth 8 stuff. And, and they have this uh, literal, like, television going on that Earth. And um, so he's he's watching that. And he gets caught in the act by the, the other watchers who are sort of keen for him to get back to watching Earth 65. So he decides to take a break and see what like the Mary Janes are doing, but yeah, he's very much more um he's very much the laziest watcher I've seen anyway. Yeah, because you know watchers don't really get much play in the comics. You know they're just there to observe, unless if your name is Uatu and you got killed. Yeah, um, yeah, Watcher Six One Six is long gone, but Watcher Sixty Five here and is doing. He's not got the same problems as that watcher does. Um, he's definitely more of a narrative device. Like, like he's used to be a bit more meta with the um the comic. Like, I think if Latour wants to say something about the direction the comic's going in in a very explicit way, um, he can, uh, or, or you know, even give like voice to what a critic or a reader is thinking. He he can use the watcher to do that in a very sort of textual manner instead of it all being subtext. Like he explicitly says things are getting dark. Um, he talks about how. Uh, it's getting all angsty, and how there's a second Wolverine now, and yeah, it's all it's, you know these sorts of things. Maybe like I guess this is what the reader would observe as well. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, like the dark stuff is what makes things exciting. That's just me. Yeah, I I will say this: the Gwenum stuff, um, like all the stuff with Venom sixty five, I think is probably my favorite stuff from the Spider Gwen Go Spider comics. Like that's where I feel um, they're at the most unique and they have the most factors at play. 
and the sort of the angst of the Spider Gwen comics, right from Edge of Spider Verse number two, I think has been the part with the most depth to it and where they draw the most characterizations from. So I know personally I prefer it like dark and, and, and angstier than other comics at least. So it's um yeah. Like I have to admit that um when Gwen first came out, that's actually when I started buying the uh, Spider Gwen floppies uh, on a regular basis. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's um. Well, that and uh, um, I didn't have money back then, like before. So yeah, definitely. And 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 I remember, uh, you know, like that that that's just a really eye catching design because obviously, you, uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll talk more about it next week. But um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself now, aren't I? Um. But yeah, definitely it's um, this next era, this next sort of two arcs we're going to get into on the next two episodes are probably some of my favorite Spider-Gwen comics, um, just in the stuff they're doing and, and, and the way that they, they thread all of these plot threads together, even with the Mary Janes, um, is, is done in a really satisfying way, I think. And I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I love the Gwen and Mark. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. What else? Uh, oh yeah, we've got Liz Allen sixty five here in this comic. Yeah, this is her only appearance, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I I don't recall her appearing anywhere else. Yeah, she doesn't. Um, other than this uh, interaction, which Mary Jane relates regarding um, the friction over her boyfriend, um, there's really not a lot of um, characterizations derived there. I found it very funny the way she sort of the way she comes to the door with just the most unimpressed looking face um yeah she's just like um you have to stay outside you two can come in though yeah it's um and and a lot that's just done through the art even but yeah this is uh that's liz allen 65 i guess and um yeah yeah and i find that their relationship you know this is in direct contrast to uh, ultimate mj and liz where those two are actually best friends yeah and um or the prestige that like Liz Allen has in six one six, where she's like a CEO, right? Yep, CEO of Alchemax and the Harry Osborne's ex-wife. And on this Earth, she has no relationship with Harry at all. Yeah, she's very much sort of uh, yeah doesn't doesn't get a huge amount to do here. Yeah, I think she's just there for the story. Yeah. So um, getting into uh, some other stuff to do here. Um, and then I I, I noted um. With Hannah Blumenreich's art, I like the way that she does the um, the sort of subtle interactions between the characters. I think are really interesting. The kind of uh, gestures they make and stuff are, are really uh, you know we don't really get them from Robbie Rodriguez in the same way. And and I guess it's more because there's most of the scenes here are just talky scenes. Like the characters are just talking, and there's lots of panels where they can have them gesture differently and posture differently, and the characters feel very unique in that way. And they all sort of move in a and talk with each other in a, in a sort of way where you, you know, like even the way that like MJ and, and Glory look at each other, and, and you know, you can derive that subtext from Hannah Blumenreich's art. I think is very very cool for sure. Uh, yeah, and even like the those other facial expressions where it's just very simplistic. You know, it's just on their faces when like a completely blank expression or like a very cliche expression you know like just a simple two dots in a line yeah like the sort of the very 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 sort of like a manga anime influenced um way of reacting to things which i think was quite funny like uh like we mentioned when uh liz allen looks unimpressed like that's sort of what happens and um 
and uh, like I like the one where um, Glory says like fine with regards to uh, joining the band for the gig, and like there's this scene of like um, this panel of Mary Jane looking like proper excited and like clapping her hands and then like glory just glares down and says you know but you can't be happy about it and and then so like mg sort of pulls a mock sad smile but like she's also still clapping at the same time i don't know like the contrast between those two panels was was really quite funny um and there's lots of little things like that lots of like it doesn't feel like um the same like four to eight expressions are being recycled by the artist. They feel unique in each panel and 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 even like really with consideration to how these characters and how people look when they talk with each other, but also a little bit exaggerated. It looks good. Yeah, very sitcom-y. Yeah, and and yeah, it's got that balance of like slice of life and humor and and characters sort of just talking with each other and going about their day. That you, yeah, it has the sitcom, uh, slice of life comic vibe, and um, I, I think the Mary Janes lend themselves to that very very well. Yeah, I think all we're missing is a trip to the beach, and we can call this an anime. For sure, they need they need a beach. They, yeah, they they should do a beach issue. Every comic should have a beach issue. They never went to the beach, did they? Or can you think of the most recent time that a person went to the beach in the comic? Not off the top of my head. Does Venom Island count? Well, there's sand, and like I guess if you want to call it a beach, because like there's water, there's sand. Well, that's the most recent one off the top of my head. But you know, Eddie's not there on the vacation, so it's not a happy beach episode no. uh, by any means. <laughs> um, yeah. One of those things. Um, but like at least there's a shark there, although the uh not the conventional shark. No, that's true. It's true they have the carnage shark. That's um although how many beach episodes have a shark in, I guess it's uh but no, there's always a shark at the beach, but you know, that's just a place you don't swim to. Yeah, that's a fun trope. Um almost every anime has a beach episode. Like if you wanna count because remember how Marvel Spider Man is a very anime influenced yeah yeah remember during the sandman episode the opening scene they were on the beach at coney island i guess you can call it that beach episode yeah it's beach adjacent uh at the very least well yeah they were on a beach in the opening scene so yeah coney island does have a beach like on the side yes yes it does yeah it does i yeah yeah that's right so yeah yeah i'm guessing that counts as a beach episode yeah that uh that makes sense what else is also on the list? Oh, um, there's this really offhanded comment like about mutants. Yes, yes. Uh, this is really interesting because this, this, this is the only time we get a mention of mutants directly in the comic, which we don't have for uh, like for you know we mentioned it last week. Wolverine and Shadowcat do not get uh, name dropped as mutants. Um, and there's no other examples of people being talked about as mutants or like characters being just, you know, like called a mutant. So this is the first one here. Yeah, it's just MJ makes this one off comment about if Gwen really did have powers, wouldn't she go to mutant school upstate? Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that would imply the existence of Xavier school. And yeah, I think that's interesting. Not picked up on again, like uh, Earth 65 so far has been sort of reasonably mutantless um all things considered so yeah i guess we'll see what um what the future holds for for any of the stuff in continuity there but 
Um, I guess yeah. this must have been during, you know, that Fox embargo period where they were limited to their use of the X-Men and Fantastic Four. Yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the other aspect here is that, like, Jason Latour's gen- writing generally just sort of veers away from doing anything with the mutants in the Spider-Gwen run. And I have to wonder if, like, this was just sort of something that was put in by Hannah Blumenreich. Like, that was something she considered for this. Um, and, and she didn't, um, you know, have the notes on the wider world-building aspect of, of Earth-65 there, maybe. Because I think because she was just, um, this is considered a guest spot for her, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, w- I was thinking about it and trying to work out to like what extent, because obviously they put down co-writer, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean like the two writers are taking it in turns to, to like write a paragraph for a scene in the comic. Like, um, yeah, it could mean like um, one person is the storyteller and then the other person wrote the actual script. Yeah, I, part part of me is thinking here that like Jason Latour definitely wrote the opening scene that was drawn by Robbie Rodriguez, um, and uh, it has the Watcher and, and all that stuff about Gwen and, and Earth Eight and and stuff. Um, but the moment that it uh, it cuts away to the stuff with the Mary Janes, that's all basically stuff that that Hannah Blumenreich, you know, uh, was was brought in to do. Like, and I could imagine like Jason Latour maybe maybe giving some notes on on it and, and like giving it the green light but by and large what we're reading uh that was drawn by hannah blumenreich was also like 90 percent written by her and i think that's the scenario here which would make the most sense because the writing does feel different the way the characters talk feels different um so so i i have to you know i have to presume that it's her writing for this sort of for the second i say the second part but for the majority of this issue like the main story as you would yeah the main story the main story uh everything after that sort of prologue scene with the watcher and um yeah and i like again like like i liked her art in this issue although i have to point out although this is just probably um the artist in me talking about how there was a lack of rendering throughout the issue like with her art but like for some reason it works yeah definitely more um more minimalistic a lot of what artists have um but yeah, like you say, it works, and um, I think it lends itself, to especially those moments where they pull a really sort of like anime-looking two dots expression. That's when the sort of lack of shading really helps. Yeah, because you know they're trying to go for this, you know, cliche anime, because you know everyone's used to that at this point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of lot of influence there. Um, and also yeah. another artist that's also not on the regular, because you know how. Uh, Robbie Rodriguez usually does all these covers. This time we got Chris Anka did the cover for this issue. Yeah, I know Chris Anka is a um, really excellent artist. And I actually really like this um, cover because it's uh, the way they do it with the, the Mary Janes up front. But they still find a way to work Gwen in there in the background. I like how Renzi does the colors where each of the Mary Janes is colored differently. Like um, Mary Jane's colored red and Betty's colored blue. Glory's colored purple, and it's but they they're all sort of done in a way where they sort of to the eye it doesn't clash. It they they sort of they blend into each other, and and the sort of uh, bright blue background it it sort of all works quite well. Yeah, yeah, I liked how uh, Chris Anka did the cover, and um, did you know he's actually on the crew for the Into the Spider Verse sequel? Oh right, yeah, that would be that would be cool. Uh, so is he was he helping with the character designs and stuff? I think he is. But uh, for comics-wise, um, what's his most recent book? Because I know he was just off Runaways. Someone else is doing that right now. 
Um, I have to imagine that. Um, I I know he did the Peter Cole book. I know he does a lot of covers more generally. Um, I could look it up real quick here. Oh yeah, he did a he did a story in Marvel Pride, the Nico and Carolina story. But I don't think he has an ongoing at the moment. Um, I think his like is probably his day job is probably going in to do the Into the Spider Verse stuff. Probably because um. Yeah, that's going to be released next year, and, you know, animation's a lot of work to do, so... Yeah, 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 I can imagine that's um, more time-intensive than comic art. Now I'm trying to imagine if Chris Anka did a Ghost Spider book. Oh, yeah, his style would fit it nicely, yeah, for sure. Uh, he's, he's got a very, got a very very good style. I'd, I'd love to see that. I love the uh, the way he does uh, character expression. That very pleasant, I think. And wasn't he the one that um, drew Star Lord shirtless? Yes, yes. Oh my days, yes. Yeah, he did the um, he did the Peter Quill like that. That yeah, he did that Star Lord uh, mini series. And yeah, there's there's a few there's a I say a few there's quite a few panels of shirtless Star Lord, uh, and they are yes, very good. Yeah. Ten out of ten, much approved. Um, is that pretty much it for um all of the thoughts that we have before moving on to concluding thoughts or? Because you know we got a comment. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, uh, I mean, I sort of put a tweet out about this. Uh, Laura, um, I know, Laura, who guested a few episodes ago, uh, replied to it and um, mentioned that. Uh, I guess it's a sentiment I've shared as well as um, that the Mary Janes are underutilized, uh, and that they'd like to see more stuff uh, with them. Definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know, like personally, um, I'd love to see what Hannah Blumenwright could do with a with a Mary Jane's miniseries. I think that would be really cool, and just to do more of this sort of uh, slice of life stuff within the context of New York '65 would be uh, would be really interesting. Um, and ha- and give those characters and, and who, who who she's good at uh, writing here a time to breathe. So yeah, I'd love to see more um, more of what we see here. So, um, did we have any uh, final opinions about this one shot? Um, I don't. I don't think I have any off the top of my head. I, I know I. Uh, I've said it a few times. I do want to see more of the Mary Janes when they do Spider Gwen Go Spider Comics. Really use more of these characters. Really sort of um, do more with Glory and MJ and their relationship, and and also just to sort of flesh out the practical circumstances of where uh, Gwen's living and how the band's living and, and stuff. I don't want it to happen off panel as it so often does. Like these characters, um, you know, deserve to have their development sort of not happen outside of the comic that's happening in it uh, in a meaningful way. Because they are fun. They are compelling. Uh, they are really sort of uh, very relatable um, in their interactions with one another. And, and the, the fun, um, I think, uh, they're, they're a really valuable part of uh, Gwen's supporting cast. And, and this was a much-deserved one-shot after, what, like 27 issues of Spider-Gwen comics. This is, this is the first time they've had... Uh, actually, no, not really fair. I guess there's always the Halloween issue. Uh, but really, the first one where it really, really zeroes in on their internal dynamic with one another. Yeah, like, I agree that there should be more issues or, like, maybe an arc in general about, like, Gwen's personal life because... You know, she's all caught in superheroing. She doesn't really make time for her loved ones. And, like, I feel like that the Mary Janes was a great opportunity to, like, um, see, like, while Gwen is busy doing superheroics, what are her friends doing? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's, um, 
Yeah, that's the right opinion. Yeah, and like how they're coping with her absence and stuff, because that's pretty much the life of a spider person. You're neglecting your uh, friends and loved ones because, like, you have to go save the city or go save the universe or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely what I think more of the the recent stuff has been missing. Maybe is more of that grounding. Well, that's not really a luxury that spider people get to have, but it's something that um. Like, we as readers should deserve their personal life. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, um, is that it? Is that... I think that's our show. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot out of that one issue, so I think we did well. Okay, so um, next week, we're actually going to be taking a skip week. Pax, do you want to explain why? Uh, yes, uh, apologies everybody, uh, I am going on a uh, road trip with a couple of friends um, around Scotland for a week, so I won't be able to record um, the next episode uh, for next week, but we will return to regularly scheduled programming the week after. Yeah, and a very fun fact, the week of August 1st, well actually August 1st in general, that happens to be Spider-Man Day. Today I learned. Yeah, every August 1st is Spider-Man Day. Nice, nice. But for the sake of this, I'm just going to say next week. So we're very excited for this. We're going to be reading Gwenum. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so what it's all about, Matt Murdock's plans come to fruition as Earth-65's Venom symbiote has bonded to Gwen and she goes on a crusade against the people who have wronged her and Matt's on the top of that list. But at the same time, uh, she has to decide on her future. There's also going to be in this arc, you know, more Wolverine more Punisher, more Captain America, the fate of Captain Stacy, plus we get the secret history behind Matt Murdock. And uh, another piece of exciting news, Dallas from the Comics Collective podcast is going to be joining us as our guest for that episode. Yes, yeah, really excited to have Dallas on. And uh, yeah, definitely everybody give uh, Comics Collective uh, a follow and a listen if you want to get to know uh, who Dallas is, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of, lot of really good stuff uh, in his podcast, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having him on as a guest for that episode. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really good. Uh, I'm really, really, really pumped. Yeah, it's going to be really great. I'm also looking forward to it. So, as always, we're going to put links in the description of where to buy and to read, and also put up the reading list for Spider-Gwen and the Comixology links. If you had any questions or thoughts on the show, we have an email. It's at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or you can send us a tweet or follow us at gsgroupies there's also going to be a reddit thread going up a few days after this airs and anything you else you wanted to add uh other than uh it's been it's been a good episode uh thank you everybody for listening thanks abigail for uh yeah for a great episode it's been good see you uh in two weeks all right see you in two weeks and once again for this week i've been abigail and I'm Pax. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye.